happy Memorial Day, everybody. I said that. Um, two things I want to say right at the top. For those of you who have served in the military, thank you. Yeah. And welcome home. Uh, for those of you who have lost someone, blessings and comfort on you and your family. We remember. That's why we call it Memorial Day. We remember. And uh, I think it's very appropriate to have things like picnics and parties and the obligatory barbecue on these on this particular day because we, we, we must understand that those sacrifices ensured that we had freedom and prosperity in order to do things like barbecues and parties and picnics and that sort of thing. And I believe um, we should um, enjoy those gifts that those people actually ensured. I'm just going to say that. So, um, as you go into your uh, festivities uh, this weekend and certainly tomorrow, um, please remember those, um, but also know that there is a purpose to all of that and you should enjoy it in its full. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> but at the same time, we need to be really honest about some things. And uh, uh, Pastor Tim and I were just talking about this um, before service. It's been a tough week. Can we just acknowledge that? It's just been, it's been rough. Um, several things have been, been going on, but the one in particular, um, you know, we had a shooting in Buffalo, New York, and then this horror outside of San Antonio, Texas, and it dominated all of our news feeds. And so I wonder if we might pause and we might pray for them, shall we? God, <clears throat> evil is real and we witness it, and we hug our loved ones a little bit tighter because of it. But at the same time, um, while we're so happy to have ours, we recognize that some people don't. And so we pray your presence with those families, that you might find a way to bring them some comfort and some peace in ways that human beings simply cannot. <clears throat> and Lord, I pray um, that this would not simply devolve into political posturing, but rather, Lord, that there would be a heart check for everybody because no law can fix the condition of the human heart. Only you can. So we pray that on us as individuals, on us as a church, and as a nation, and we're going to thank you, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us because you're good and you're holy and you're just and you're merciful. And we're going to lean into that a little harder today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. <clears throat> Over the past 20 years, um, I think it's become clear that things like personal liberty has eroded in this country uh, due to policies by both parties, frankly, um, I'd level that charge at both of them. <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, I'm afraid that tired challenges uh, will be made towards the Second Amendment and that um, we'll ch uh, choose as a nation to use sound bites 
to try to deal with symptoms rather than the actual problem. I'm just going to say that. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm probably going to aggravate everybody in the room at some point, and I'm okay with that. I just am. I try to say what Jesus wants me to say. <clears throat> We're going to talk more about this in a moment. And I'm going to leave that horror in, in Texas for, for just a moment, moment because I think something else happened this week and something that um, was very important and it was overshadowed um, by news of violence, war, inflation, and of all things, monkeypox. Just the name, monkeypox. Um, anyway, yeah. So from time to time, um, the Lord puts things on my heart, I believe, and allows me to connect some dots um, to make his people aware. Now, some of you might recall that in February of 2020, I spent a portion of a message talking about the strange virus that was coming out of China. And it hadn't even really hit our news cycles yet, um, but I had seen something or heard something and realized that it was probably pretty important and the Lord said, you need to talk to your people about that. And I said, okay. Um, knowing full well that I might look like an idiot, but there we were two months later and we were completely shut down uh, because of the strange virus that came out of China, <clears throat> right? And so he allows me to do that. And I have to say that what I'm gonna talk about today feels like that, okay? I'm, I'm just gonna say it feels like that. Um, I can't explain it other than that, other than, you know, sometimes the Lord does this and, and I, I, I simply try to do what he tells me to do. So, <clears throat> but there was an, uh, the annual meeting of something called the um, World Economic Forum that happened in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, it happens every single year and um, I'm very concerned about this organization and I want to talk about it because I think the implications of some of their ideas are enormous and far-reaching, and we need to be careful. The uh, World Economic Forum is self-described as a non-governmental and lobbying organization. Hey, at least they're honest about it, right? We're gonna, gonna be a lobbying organization. It was founded in the early 1970s by this man. Um, his name is Klaus Schwab. Um, he's a German engineer and an economist, and let's be honest, he looks like a Bond villain, doesn't he? <laughs> kind of is, <laughs> from what I can gather. Anyway, um, Schwab started this organization. Schwab and the World Economic Forum have influenced hundreds of people through what's called the Young Global Leaders Program. What's really interesting to me is that Schwab's internet footprint seems to be very carefully crafted and very carefully managed. I suppose um, it's easy to do when you have millions and millions of dollars to throw at things like that. More importantly though, um, his books and his speeches, um, I'm through those, I find distinct echoes of what, in my opinion, is just flat out Marxism. And there used to be a time in this country when um, our society was familiar with the dangers and specifically the evils of Marxism, because it is, it's just evil. And over the last, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 years, there's been a shift in this country. And I, and I think there's a, 
there's a number of reasons for this. Remember, I'm, I said I'm gonna aggravate everybody, so here we go. <clears throat> but I think what's occurred is that those people who have um, kind of Marxist ideology have shifted focus from politics to things like education, which is the reason why we find um, teachers around the country who are promoting certain agendas, very strange agendas, about um, gender confusion. That comes from somewhere. It's not random. This is the direct result of certain types of education that seem to be caught up uh, or taught within um, certain universities. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't have a great stat, but it seems to me that you've got ultra-left-wing um, Marxist ideologues that dominate universities, certain state-run universities, um, at, at least in the humanities. I mean, it's, it's just there. Um, there has been some studies done on it, and, and it's true. And now we're beginning to reap all that they have sown. Let's just be honest about that. <clears throat> Please understand, I am not prone to wearing a tinfoil hat, okay? I'm looking at data, and I am hearing some opinions of others, and I'm trying to piece together what I think the Lord is, is, is saying. But Marxism is evil. It, it, there, there is no other single economic ideology that impoverishes more people than Marxism, period. Um, it's, it's awful, and yet I feel like we're making this nice little march towards that um, in some way, shape, or form. What is very clear to me, though, is that <clears throat> the World Economic Forum itself um, is out to change the entire world. That's, that's not an overstatement. In 1992, it published, quote, a comprehensive blueprint for the reorganization of human society. See what I mean by a Bond villain? Yeah. Waiting for this. In 2016, a Danish um, World Economic Forum member published an article that stated, I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. And if you go on to the World Economic Forum, um, the website, you will find that one of their, um, I think it's eight pillars, if I remember correctly, is you will own nothing and you will be happy. That worries me a lot. And the idea behind it is, well, you don't have to own anything because you can rent it. And so you don't have to have that responsibility. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. I'm going to have to rent it from somebody. Who am I going to rent it from? because they're going to own it. Members of the World Economic Forum. That's, that's the stated intent. This is all out there. I mean, this is not made up and not, you know, they stated this themselves, and they think that, yeah. I also heard, um, I think it was the uh, CEO of, well, one of the drug companies, I don't remember which one it was, was talking about technology that they could put inside a pill so that if somebody uh, prescribed a drug to you, you would take it and it would, as soon as it hit your stomach acid, it would you know, ping and make a signal so that, that um, insurance companies could monitor that you're actually taking the drug that's prescribed. Personal privacy is right out the window here. I mean, clearly. <clears throat> now, that technology is the direction that um, things are moving. 
It concerns me. Whether or not it exists, we have a group of people who are in power and are open to it. <clears throat> I was looking at uh, the list of um, people who have been through the, the Young Global Leaders and it is literally a who's who of who's in government power and who um, are you know, captains of certain large <coughs> flag digital companies. Flag. I'll let, let you figure that out later. And then most recently, Schwab and the World Economic Forum published The Great Reset, name of a book, in 2020. Uh, you can read about it on the, the World Economic Forum website. It's there. But it seeks to create a more sustainable and, and inclusive world, which sounds really great, but they never actually define what that means. It sounds good. It seems to me like it's great marketing. I'll put it, put it that way. Now, the group has drawn some criticism. One critic called it um, socialist capitalism. That's what they were after, socialist capitalism. Another wrote that <clears throat> the end game is a general ruling or a global ruling class making virtually all moral, ethical, social, employment, and health decisions for everyone else. Apparently, the World Economic Forum is smarter than you and me and in superior in every way. They're the smart people, so they should run things. That's the idea. Now again, this is not conspiracy theory. You can find all of this on the group's website and interpret it for yourself. Now, also, the other thing I want to say here is this is not a lecture on economics or on geopolitics. It feels sinister. <clears throat> the agenda and the sheer number of world leaders and government and industry associated with the World Economic Forum, it just, it, 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 it feels sinister because it kind of is. Now, one of the things you need to understand is I do not speak from the pulpit on politics. I have my own private opinions, but I don't ever speak on politics. And there's a couple reasons for this. Number one is that I value the IRS designation as a nonprofit, and I don't want to uh, put that in jeopardy, okay? So that's kind of important to me. And secondly, and I think this is more important, our weekly gathering is a celebration. Remember, we just talked about that, right? And we do that um, through worship and through testimony. We are more interested in the things that God has done, the things that God is doing, and things that God will do than anything else that's going on. So as followers of Jesus, we have to take these issues, like all others, and bring them before the Lord of hosts. That's what we need to do. Because it's too easy to be afraid. It's too easy to hunker down and to do something or not do something and just kind of see how things play out. But we can't do that. We have another responsibility here. So um, I'm highlighting um, this because it seems like we're heading in the direction of the World Economic Forum's agenda and we need to take our cues from scripture, okay? So let's open up your Bible. Describing the people King David had around him, we read something very interesting. So uh, David rises to power, and the tribes um, send him soldiers, and they send him advisors and whatnot, and we find this. Um, men from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Which I just find really a funny statement. Because, you know, you got a bunch of chiefs and all their relatives. First of all, I don't know who the chief in my family is. I don't know about yours. And I'm not sure that uh, 
any of my relatives would say that I'm, they're under my command or anyone else's too. I don't know what your family's like. Maybe you've got that one worked out. But I think this is a, a, a fascinating statement is that there's this group of individuals and they were noted by this throughout all history is that they understood the times, okay? They understood what was happening um, here. <clears throat> And it's very specific they talk about the times because things change, right? It wasn't they're saying the men who understood tradition, they understood the times. They understood what was happening in that particular moment. And I take from that a a, a certain amount of, of direction in that we cannot bury our heads. We must read and we must understand the times, but we have to do it from a divine perspective. That's the first thing here. They understood the times and we need to do the same, but from a divine perspective. But also, there's this idea, they knew what Israel should do, not what Israel should think, not what Israel should believe, but what they should do, that there's some type of transition into action. Do you understand? So it's not just knowing what the times are, but actually taking cues from a divine perspective on what to actually do. I think that's an important thing that we can learn from and take with us. And number two, if, if something feels off, it is, okay? There's something going on in the world. But please, let's not fall into conspiracy theories. Um, when Jesus sent his disciples to do ministry, he gave them some very helpful instruction. And I want you to see this. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> Yay, right? Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now let's understand those particular terms. Shrewd, this particular word used in Greek means intelligence and wise, but it carries with it the idea of having a bigger um, perspective. Think of it this way, is that you need to zoom out. And the idea that's carried here is to be shrewd is to understand what the ultimate purpose is. You're not just doing things for the sake of doing things, but rather you've got a bigger picture in mind. I'm, sh- I'm trying to be shrewd, I'm trying to be wise, so I have a divine perspective about the time and the actions that I'm taking are in light of that. Does this make sense? This is a big deal, because the word is very specific. Second is that we read about this idea of innocent as doves, and this is really interesting to me. Um, some translations use the word harmless, but I think this is a mistake. Not harmless as doves, innocent as doves. And this is more in line with the idea of purity. it means to deal with things straightforward and without deceit. Jesus talks about this, let your yes be yes and your no be you know, right? I mean, he talks about this idea of being very straightforward, that you're being pure about things. Now, that doesn't mean you're announcing everything to everybody all the time, but rather make sure that when you're moving along that you're doing it as, as innocently, as purely, as holy and righteous as you possibly can be. And isn't it interesting that he uses this idea, idea of the doves because doves were what, you, what was used for sacrifice, if, especially if you were poor. You could bring that to the altar of the Lord during certain festivals and, and be made right by making that sacrifice using doves or pigeons, but doves. I think that's really interesting. Someday I'm gonna dig dig into that a little bit deeper, but I I think that's really helpful. So be shrewd, but also be righteous about it. Does this make sense? 
So we're trying not to do deal with deception. I, I, I get troubled by this idea that we think we can defeat evil with evil. I don't think you can, ultimately. I've got to think about that a little bit more. Maybe you should too. <clears throat> so keep, keep that in mind. So the advice here is to be conscious of the big picture, wise about how to act and interact with others because remember, look what Jesus is saying here. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus never said to circle the wagons. And that's the easy thing to do. We might want to do that. We may want to kind of just, you know, hole up in our own, you know, echo chambers because that happens, Right? We only want to hear the things that we want to hear, but no, Jesus says, I'm sending you out. If you're a follower of Jesus, then there's a certain amount of interaction that needs to take place, even with people that you disagree with. And that's the other thing. I've got to mention this. Church, church, I don't know how exactly we do this, but we've got to figure out how to do this. There is this lie that says, if you disagree with me, you hate me. Wrong. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. You can disagree and still love each other. We see that in scripture all the time. Was it Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas disagreed sharply about one thing and yet they were still brothers? So I don't buy that whole notion. Now, is it easier to deal with people who believe like you do? Of course it is. It always is that way. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said that I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. So if you're going to behave, this is how you should behave. Be wise, but be pure. You tracking with me? That's hard to do. And by the way, you can't do that on your own. We'll talk about that in a second. Important. Okay. If you're going to act with others, you need to act with integrity to do it above board and without approach. Now, <clears throat> this means that we need to pay attention and to, to, to be aware of a couple of things. And so I want to offer a caution here. Don't bury your head in the sand. Pay attention to what's going on in the world, but I think you should also limit your news exposure because I don't know how you can um, live wisely and with integrity if you're constantly <laughs> being exposed to fear-mongering. I don't know how you do that. And I see it all over the place. I've seen it in, in some family and friends where um, they're just constantly watching the news all the time, and it, and it it shows in their conversation, dominates what they talk about. So the challenge here is to do a couple of things, and I, I want to offer this. Um, this is the, the two-by-two grid that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, and so really, I think you cannot live wisely and, 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 um, and act with integrity if you're not connected to the living God. You have to stay connected. This is not mentioned to bludgeon you. This is not meant to make you feel bad. I have no use for shame. I'm not going to shame anybody into anything. But I don't know how you can follow what Jesus wants you to do if you're not connected to him. And so carving out just a few minutes every single day to encounter the Lord and ask him, Lord, what do you want to do today? Or I've got this thing that's going on. Lord, how should I handle it? I got this relationship at work where somebody and I, and I, we disagree and they think that I hate them. How do I deal with that? That's a great thing to bring to the Lord because I think, in, in, at least in my mind, is that that <clears throat> relational component is big for Jesus. 
Jesus wanted to stay connected to people. And so we should too. But I don't know how you can stay, um, I don't know how you can be wise and live with integrity if you're not connected to God in some way where you're listening to him so that you can respond appropriately to the things that he's saying. And then secondly, I think that there's a community aspect to this is that if times are going to be tough, and I believe they are, um, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg when it comes to inflation. I was just at um, Costco the other day, which is usually the the least expensive gasoline in, in the city, from what I can tell. And it's pushing four bucks. Now, I know, we live in an oil-producing state, and because of that, we're used to low prices and that kind of a thing, but um, I know some truck drivers, and I know what diesel prices are, and I've seen some things from around the country, and look, folks, this is not going to get better based on the policies of the current administration. It just isn't. And we know that there's a direction that this is going, going towards. And so if we're going to deal with that, we can sit back and we can, we can cower or we can complain or we can start building some resiliency with the community of people that we love. And, and here's what you have to do, is that you gotta carve out time for other people. So you gotta carve out time for Jesus, <laughs> and you gotta carve out time for other people. Because eventually we are going to need each other more than what we need each other for now. We just will. You're going to need the emotional support of the people around you. You may need the physical help of them around you. This is the direction where things are going. And by virtue, every economic indicator, that's true. Again, I'm not saying this to scare you. What I'm saying is be prepared. Think about it. Be connected to your Lord. Be connected to those people who are around you that you have a certain amount of community with so that you can be resilient, so that you can withstand these things. Now, um, one question that is bound to come up <clears throat> and I'm, I'm waiting for this. Does all of this mean that we're living in the end times? Because there's a lot of weird stuff going on, and you got to ask that question, right? Okay. I want you to hear what I have to say. Okay? You ready? I don't know. And neither does anyone else. Okay? Let's just be clear about that. Now, there are whole denominations that are built on this line of thinking. God bless them. That is not something that I care to engage in. There are plenty of other people throughout history and their historical experiences who thought they were living in the end times. Okay? And yet, here we are. We're still here. I have no idea. No one else has any idea either. But what I can say, with a great deal of certainty, what I can say, is that there is a throne. And someone is on it. And John describes it this way, and he describes it beautifully. At once I was in the spirit, vision that he saw. This is John, the beloved disciple. This is the one who wrote the gospel. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And around the throne were four living creatures. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is 
and is to come. Over and over, that's being stated throughout time. I haven't shared this story in a while. Revelation chapter 4 is fascinating. It's a beautiful picture of the throne room of God. About uh, 10 years ago, um, my father passed away. I miss him a lot. But one day we were... um, sitting in the, in the living room. He was, he was uh, sleeping a lot by then. But he had woken up and he wanted to sit out with everybody and so we just kind of sat him in a chair and, and he was just sitting there listening to the conversation. And all of a sudden he got this very odd look on his face. And he started looking around. I said, Dad, are you okay? And he goes, David, it's beautiful. What is, Dad? There's so many colors. Now, my mom has a very bright decorating style, but he wasn't looking at the living room. And I said, Dad, what do you see? He goes, oh, the people. Oh, you can't imagine the people. And he started naming people who had passed on before him. My grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, names I hadn't heard in a long period of time. And I said, Dad, do you you see any type of, throne or chair? It goes, oh, there it is. It's huge. It's huge, David. He's describing this to me. Now, as far as I know, my dad has never read Revelation chapter 4, but what he described was very similar to what we find in Revelation chapter 4. And I believe that he had one foot in the next realm and had one foot in this realm, and he was slowly shifting his way. And he told us about it. And he was okay. And he was excited about it because he was going to the throne room of the Almighty. And then all of a sudden, his face changed and he got real sleepy. He says, yeah, I think I need to go rest again. I will never forget that moment because what I read in Revelation chapter four and what I heard my father say, who I don't think ever lied, pretty similar. And so I trust that there is a throne. And I trust that there is only one who is worthy of all glory and all praise that sits upon it. He's good. There's nothing impossible with him. He settled it all on the cross and he wants you and me to be a part of his reset. Not a great reset. And the person on the throne is not a German engineer. It's the Lord of hosts. One last story, just this morning. Um, Most of you know that um, I try to spend a couple of minutes uh, in my own time with God before we come into service. And that term, the Lord of hosts, for whatever reason, echoed in my mind. And I'm learning that if I'm hearing something repeated over and over in my head, usually the Lord is trying to get my attention about something. See, I'm learning to listen too, okay? And uh, I finally just kind of wrote in my journal, I'm like, Lord of hosts, I said, Lord, is there a reason why this is an echo in, in my mind over and over again? What, what's going on here? 
And so usually what happens is when I hear a phrase like that, I need to go look it up. For whatever reason, the Lord chooses to speak to me through his word. And so, I, okay, I'll go look it up. So I, I was gonna say I Googled it, but I don't use Google anymore. I use DuckDuckGo, and you should too. Uh, <laughs> that's my one plug, <laughs> I promise. Um, but I looked it up, and um, I, I found Psalm 46. And I wanna read something to you, okay? I don't know the psalm by heart. In fact, you know, if you give me a psalm and a number, I don't remember where it is. I usually have to go look it up. But this was Psalm 46 uh, today. This is what I read. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. <laughs> the desolations, uh, come, uh, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, this is for you today, church. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when you go into your festivities today and tomorrow, I pray that you enjoy them deeply, richly, with anybody you can get around you to do it. But at the same time, there's this, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this malaise, this melancholy that I notice on people, myself included. And it's this feeling that you have and you're not sure where it comes from, but I think it's just kind of the, the atmosphere that we're living in these days. But be reminded, the Lord of hosts is with us. And you need to hear this, church, the Lord of hosts is with you. Not us as some faceless, nameless mass of people, but with you specifically. He is saying, the Lord is with you, insert your own name. He is with you. And he said to you, go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching all that I have commanded, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. That's a promise that he made. And as far as I can tell, there's no place in Scripture where he has uh, retracted that. The Lord is with you, specifically. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, I don't know what it is, but I trust that the Lord does. He's with you. And he sees you. And he knows you. And he understands. Let's pray. God, we remember today we remember not only the sacrifices made by brave men and women, by people who um, choose to have careers that try to keep us safe, and we remember that there's great evil in this world and that there is an enemy. But at the same time, Lord, we remember that there is a Lord of hosts 
And God, in moments like now and probably in the future, there, there, <laughs> we're going to recognize a deep, deep need for you again and again and again. But the beautiful thing is you never leave us nor forsake us. We may not understand everything that you have in mind, but we can trust that you're good. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who is seated here that they would have an amazing Memorial Day holiday with their friends and with their family, that the barbecue would be done perfectly, the potato salad tastes particularly good, and the company would be one filled with laughter. Not that we're sticking our heads in the sand, but rather we're leaning on the fact that there is one who is worthy of all glory and praise, and for whatever reason, you choose to see us. And that changes everything. As we go into the next week, and as we see the news, let us have a divine perspective so that we may live wisely, but to be connected to you so that we can live with integrity. You're so good. This is what you want for your people. Oh God, help us to lean into that. And like always, Lord, I know that there are folks who are sitting here today and there is a, there's a recording that's going on in their head. And it's saying something to the effect of, well, God loves everybody else, but not you. You're not good enough. You can't live with integrity. You're not smart enough. Remember that thing that you did a long time ago? I know what that voice is. I know that voice. And I'm going to call it out. It's the voice of shame. And in the name of Jesus and by the blood on the cross, shame, you have no business here. Be silent. Holy Spirit, the floor is yours. To speak into the hearts and minds of people the things that they need to hear. We trust you with that. We trust you with our lives, with our nation, with our church, with our families, because you're good. Church, if you need prayer, I'm just going to be down here off to my right, your left. Come on down. Love to pray for you, pray with you, whatever. Or we can do it after service too. It's fine. I'll be here for a while. And if it's one of those things where you're just concerned about what people might think, trust me, they're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about the junk that you might be carrying to the Lord in prayer. What they're saying is, oh, isn't God good? Holy Spirit, we invited you here. We welcomed you here. We expected you here. I believe you're in the room. And I would pray that you would uh, simply visit those who need you to visit. You're so good to us. Thank you, God. We remember you and your goodness today. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.